Hello, welcome. Move the line. Ryan Noonan joined here by my friends Connor Allen, John Daigle. Super wild card weekend. Connor, how are we doing, bud? Good. We made it. We made it to the playoffs. Um, you know, it's awesome. Made it through my full first full season uh, in the industry. You know, it was awesome. Uh, so it feels good to be here. Look at Daigle's smile. So the, the, happy. He did like <laughs> just coming, just beaming off of his face. Not even a lighting situation. It is actually just pure joy manifesting in light through the smile of uh, Daigle, who, if, you know, again, if you are a loyal 444 uh, reader, watcher, listener, any of those things, first of all, we appreciate that very much. You also know that my friend John Daigle has his hands in a lot of things. Uh, and then a six game slate. Lightens the load for Daigle significantly, and that's why we see the smile on his face. How are we doing, bud? You say six-game slate. I say four-game slate. It's wonderful because we could delete two of these games now. So, yes, everything's going well. It just gives more time, honestly, to cover every angle, whereas you're usually scrambling to get 16 games of content out there throughout the week. Plus, those, that last month of football, everyone can attest, was bad. I mean, those holiday games were awful. So, I would still argue there are a few teams who shouldn't be here playing, and we'll get to those games. But overall, yes, the, it becomes much easier, just better for everyone because we can digest it now in a more thorough way. Well, I can attest to that. Is we've actually evolved this show from what we've done for you know handful of years previously. We would go game by game, regardless of the week. We would you know touch base on every game, and even if we didn't like go deep into some of them, it was enough to have to tee them up. Uh, and to have just kind of a, you know, three to four minute discussion on it to do a little bit of research. Um, you know, we do for our own now, but like to not have to have it time crunched for a show is is a different load too. So I uh, I get that. I'm, I'm excited. So yeah, playoff time. We are here. We'll be here every Wednesday uh, through the playoffs here discussing our uh, favorite games of the board. Actually, this time is now just every game of the board. We're taking your questions as well. So if you are hanging out with us on YouTube, subscribe so you don't miss a show. Smash the like button goes a long way in helping us do lots of cool things here at 44 and jump in the chat if you're watching live you want us to talk about uh, a different angle that you like for super wild card weekend side or total let us know we appreciate all that interaction as well also want to let you know that we have two episodes of move the line each week both available streaming here on youtube both available in podcast form as well wherever you consume those podcasts this is game previews more sides of totals move the line prop drop is live 2 p.m eastern every friday Pat Mayo, Connor, myself with props. Props have also been really hard the last couple of weeks because of whether it's injuries, motivation, we don't really know. You know, the last couple of Friday afternoons have been pretty thin. We already have more to talk about right now on a Wednesday for Friday's show than we've had the last couple of weeks. And even then, we've been able to piece together more than, you know, 15 bets in that show for you. So, uh, again, Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern, again, available YouTube podcast. There's also a 4 for 4 Bets YouTube channel as well, unique, unique daily content there. So subscribe, check that out. Lots of different shorts. We'll continue to ramp that up here in the offseason. Also, a betting subscription at 4 for 4 is your best access to get all of our picks, props, and all of those things um, still now through the end of February. So I'll take you through the end of the Super Bowl a little bit longer, covering MMA, NBA, college hoops. Uh, we'll start to get into the draft stuff here. Uh, but we're still grinding, obviously, the NFL side. Again, it gets you literally access to everything on the site. Daigle, TJ still grinding the DFS side. Again, you have these short slates. You have these uh, showdown slates still doing that as well. The betting sub gets you access to literally everything, every tool, article, and the Discord. $19 from now until the end of February. 
I mean, that's, that's it. Like I don't have any, you know, any other pitch other than it's literally $19. We're going to help you make that back real quick this week. And you're going to get a bunch of the rest of the playoff stuff. Um, you want to get in there for Daigle's underdog stuff and their, um, you know, all the different FFPC stuff that we've going on. Like we have all that discussion going on. You get access to all of that with the bank subscription at 19 bucks. Worth your time. Check it out. I'm uh, I'm about to go in there and tell everyone to be overweight on Jordan Spieth and Brian Harmon tomorrow too. So we're coming at it from a lot of angles. Got Harmon at 40 to one, Daigle. 40 to one. I rolled, I was laying in bed Monday morning. I wasn't even out of bed yet. And I knew a couple guys that were going to make the card. Harmon's 16 out there right now. He he got that century experience too. Oh yeah, we're rolling this week. We're rolling with uh with Harmon. I, I like the 40 a lot more than the 16, but uh, you know, again, you know, I, I'm a big fan. I lay myself into that CLV. Makes me feel real good. Uh, you know, we, who cares what happens when we start? But uh, yeah, we're gonna do some packages here with the Betsburts Golf and four for four betting here shortly as well. So um, and, before and we dive in to football, who is Brian Harmon? He is a. He, where did he come from? I've never heard of this guy. I mean, I don't know a ton of golfers, but I know like the majority of the card. I feel like so. Uh, who is he? Thirty-five. He's been around for a little while. Very. Um, Small left-hander, Georgia Bulldog. Actually, we're gonna oh. have uh, a couple of Georgia Bulldogs. It's a good narrative. Thank you, attention this week. Yep. Breakout. Uh, his breakout was really last year, and mostly because he got hot with his putter. He previously was the guy you laughed at, like Morikawa. Anytime he reached the green. Yeah, Harmon's uh, playing is probably has been around for a while, but playing his best golf of his career. He seems to do always do well at Augusta, regardless of like you think he can't really hang because he's not long off the tee. Uh, yeah. Brian Harmon can can hang. So all right, they so didn't. I did. I deterred the show. They didn't come here for that. But that shows you they might have that we have yeah, more time now because now we're getting stuff too. Head over to Betsbert's uh, YouTube page. The uh, Andy Molitor and I uh, have a betting show every Tuesday. You guys are going to get a kick out of this. So you guys know that my car got stolen. I mentioned on the props show, uh, my car got stolen while I was in Mexico last week. And the best part about this is now I'm forced to buy new golf clubs because my golf clubs were in the back of my car. Wow. So I will be retiring the most ancient golf clubs you've ever used or ever seen, and I will be buying new ones. So here we are. It'll, I'm going to make a renewed effort in the offseason to be you know, competent in golf and uh, start with some new clubs. That's no Corrine winning $2 million and then winning 100% of his head-to-heads on Sunday the week after, but you're running pretty <laughs> hot right now. <laughs> He's not buying gonna, a new car, but he's going to buy new golf clubs, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I can actually file that under like my, my homeowner's insurance as well. So, you know, be, those are, those are $2,000 golf clubs, vintage, vintage stuff. Yeah. Sam in the chat again, mentions <laughs> no more wooden woods for Connor. This is literally a factual thing. Connor in the year 2022 was using wooden woods. Correct. Um, actual it, it, wood. Woods, yeah. It's like the term is like a three wood. Connor's still using the wood version of that club. Uh, we've made great strides uh, in the technology in the game of golf. And Connor, his uh, it's not been his thing. You know, he's he's a little old fashioned. But uh, we'll jump into we'll jump into football now. Six games, six rematches, which I think is definitely an interesting element. And three of these are interdivision games this week as well. So this is you know the third time that these teams have faced off. So. That helps us a little bit because we actually have a little bit of an understanding of what worked and what didn't for some of these teams last time they met. That helps us get a, get a feel for basically you know where the adjustments need to be made, and um, I think that that's a, an added element here. We'll start with the Saturday afternoon game. First one, Seattle is on the road in San Francisco. Let me get the freshest of numbers for you here. 
Um, looks like there's a little rain in the forecast, which is going to be interesting to see how that impacts things here. Wind's not going to be too much of a problem. Nine and a half across the board, uh, 42 and a half across the board from a total standpoint too. The points bet sitting at 42, uh, just a little, little bit off market. Seattle into the playoffs, took until overtime against the Rams team that had been really playing out the stretch. It's not a great, great sign for Seattle. They also needed help, obviously, on Sunday night with the Lions and Packers game. You know, first playoff game in a season that I think we could say that Geno Smith has earned himself a playoff spot. And, um, you know, they played some good football, lots of injuries, uh, especially on the defensive side for that team here. And the Niners continue to roll. They won 10 straight, uh, I believe, five in a row here with Brock Purdy, who's playing pretty good football. Again, we know you can step into the Shanahan offense, and he's kind of a talent maximizer, especially at the quarterback position. We've seen it throughout his tenure there where he's been able to elevate the likes of Nick Mullins and Brock Purdy at times. Even you could say Jimmy Garoppolo here. They are uh, you know, nine and a half big healthy favorite here, Connor. I'll let you get started with this one. Yeah, the key matchup for me comes down to San Francisco's running offense against Seattle's run defense here because uh, I expect them to have a ton of success on the ground. We've seen Seattle's run defense down the stretch just get absolutely wrecked by multiple teams, you know, in multiple consecutive weeks. Uh, we saw... You know, before McCaffrey, you know, run have 26 carries against them for over 100 yards. Uh, I mean, they just got destroyed. Now we have a spot here where they're getting Elijah Mitchell back. He's healthy uh, and good to go. So I think that we'll see a, a nice one-two combo of them. Uh, and on the other side of the ball, I mean, Kenneth Walker, like they've rode him last, like the last few weeks. But I mean, when they've played against San Francisco, he had 12 carries for 47 yards. Like they're, I just, they, in those two games, they haven't really been able to get the running game going, which puts a lot of pressure on their passing game to do something. And I'm not really sure that that's exactly where Seattle wants to be against the Niners team uh, that, you know, for most of the season was really good. Uh, weeks one through 16, they were fantastic. Week 17 and 18, uh, you know, they were not so good against Jared Stidham. And even Dave, against David Blau at times, they didn't look awesome. So I'm a little bit concerned about that, but that's more of a future concern. I don't really think that's a big concern here against Seattle. Um, I originally did like Seattle at plus 10 because I thought that was too many points given what we've seen. And just the, the Niners don't really want to put their foot on the gas here. I think they're probably just going to run with the game. But and now at nine and a half for me, it's a stay away. Uh, two wins for the same brand in the uh, season, Dagle. 20 points, eight points. And I know it's really come down to pressure. Can they protect on third downs? They weren't able to do so in the first two matchups. And I really think that's kind of where the handicap has come down. Um, he was pressured on 49% of his third down passing attempts in the first two meetings of the season. Averaged up the target on the year, eight yards per attempt, just 4.6 in the two meetings against the Niners. Let's back up to start because the overarching picture of the wild card weekend are a bunch of large numbers. And so people might try to be sharp and bet with in favor of these larger numbers, just trying to get hooks, trying to get covers here. But remember, since 1978, whenever Wild Card Weekend began, the spread has not come into play in either direction, right? So favorites, dogs, whatever. The spread hasn't come into play in 88% of games. Basically, whoever you think will win, you should just take them and the points, whatever side that may be. Last year, even four of six games were decided by three scores. There are a lot of teams every Wild Card Weekend. We get excited and. and and I believe that ruining optimism is equivalent to murder. Like, you should never do that. But everyone gets excited about Walker Weekend. We watch it, and we're like, oh, yeah, that team shouldn't be the playoffs. A lot of that this weekend, I'm thinking. But for the 49ers, I just don't know what else you can give them in favor over the Seahawks. In the first game, no Brock Purdy, no Christian McCaffrey. In the second game, a short week 
on Thursday night. Brock Purdy's first career road start. No Debo Samuel. No Elijah Mitchell. And that team went out and averaged 6.2 yards per play. And then you factor in that, yes, this is Brock Purdy's first career playoff game. But it's also the same for Geno Smith. And against the Raiders, this dude down by a field goal drove the 49ers downfield to kick the field goal. Drove them down again the next possession after they forced the Raiders to punt. They went up. And then the Raiders, of course, come back, tie the game. And with less than four minutes remaining, Brock Purdy drives the field. And they score a touchdown, the 49ers, on that drive. And then, of course, again, drove them in position to the game-winning field goal in overtime. That's basically three game-winning drives from the fourth quarter on. I don't know what else you can throw at Brock Purdy until people realize he's good. And he's the X factor here. So... I don't believe the narrative about him being it's his first time in the playoffs either. The rain, yes, is the great equalizer here because that would negate the 49ers pass rush, which is the biggest proponent for the 49ers in this game um, and would likely lead to a run-heavy game script for both sides. Ken Walker, Connor already mentioned, this was his first game in that 49ers matchup off injured reserve, and Travis Homer was active for that game. But the last three weeks without Travis Homer, Ken Walker averaging 26 carries per game. They have no other offense in that span. Over the last month, Geno Smith has averaged 5.6 yards per attempt. He's been awful. And so if there is rain, and this is the reason why our friend Drew Densick, well capper, is also, I know, picking the Seahawks the points because he thinks like the game script, the weather is going to ruin this opportunity. That could be the case. But honestly, if it's not for weather, I think the Seahawks just lay the wood here because they are the significantly better team at every single position. And that's the way I'm viewing it right now. Yeah. 49ers, you think lay the wood. Yeah. Yes, our, uh, our uh, sides and totals guru, Sharp Clark, also uh, on the Niners. And, and you know, that in itself, I'll be honest, you know, we got, I, you know, I respect those handicaps, right? I respect if Dinsick is on that. I respect if Clark is on that. I do kind of agree, though. To me, especially at nine and a half, I, I it's it's Niners or nothing. Um, I just feel like that that's to your point. Like you want to back the team that's going to win. I feel like the Niners are equipped to handle the rain. They if they need to lean run heavy. To your point, we really haven't had full strength Niners at times. Like right? we just have had little guys dinged up here and there. Kittle, Debo, we didn't Elijah Mitchell. We didn't have CMC with a full year. And yeah, I mean you could say that the quarterback issue is is still there because he's injured. But like we've seen enough of Brock Purdy. He's been really good. Um, and again, like Shanahan knows how to protect these guys and just they know how to like maximize the talent. And Seattle's really struggled with defending yards after the catch. They've allowed, I believe, the third highest rate of yards after the catch this season. And we know that is just a design of Kyle Shanahan's offense year in and year out. They always lead the league in yak. Um, and that's not always because of the guys that they have being able to be playmakers is just scheme. It's schemed completion percentage over expectation it is just, you know, crossers mesh that stuff that just, he knows how to just complete and set his quarterback up for success. So even into your point, it is a neutralizer, but I do think that it is also bodes well for the Niners and what they want to do as well. Seattle didn't even win that game last week. Baker Mayfield lost that game with five, six, with five sacks, 140 yards, and a pit, that awful pick to no one in overtime. Geno Smith was trying to give that game away. And so, again, maybe the weather plays into factor here. I know, Connor, you played Ken Walker under his rushing prop yards, which has since sunk 
So you can't even get the better number right now. And although I am a little worried because he is the type of player to pop a big one off and ruin your prop in any given week, especially since we know for a fact, even DJ Dallas is on the injury report, hasn't practiced by when on Wednesday yet. So it could be an even bigger workload for Walker. And that's always concerning because he could ruin the prop with one carry. Um, but at the same time, the only player to go over 60 rushing yards against this Niners defense all year was Josh Jacobs in week 17, and he only reached 69 yards. They just don't leak production uh, on the ground at all. So, yeah, I'm fairly confident in the Niners covering here. The, yeah, same. Niners Niners at this point or nothing. Um, I also do think there's some some great ways to play this. Otherwise, I think Ken Walker under is a solid look at 60 still, but it's, I mean, literally last time I know that there's, you know, Travis Homer playing, but it was his first game off IR, but it was literally his line was like 50 was 48. And then he ended up with 47 rushing yards. And now we're getting in the playoffs. He's at 60. It opened at 63. And I was like, well, you know, I guess I get it because he's been crushing it lately. He's been seeing a ton of work, but like at a certain point, like if you're down, they're just not gonna be able to function that way. And I would say, <clears throat> I mean, the Niners, like running into the teeth of the Niners defense isn't always, isn't very advantageous. So maybe he gets there on volume, but like he literally, I think I included in the write-up, you would need like 20 carries to get there. And also look at Debo Samuel props whenever you get around to it. Because remember the first two games from Brock Purdy, Debo Samuel led this team in targets with a 24% target share. Disappeared, and then only then did George Kittle, who was fourth on the team from Brock Purdy in targets in that span. Only then did he create that 26.7% target share, three and a half yards per route run, has led the league in receiving touchdowns since week 15. But again, that only happened once Debo got injured. So I think there's a lot of volatility in Kittle's outcome especially because like this last game everyone remembers with the two touchdown performance from purdy that was debo's first game out and thus it all trickled down to kittle so i am very interested in debo props this week as well yeah that gave me pause i actually wanted to originally fire my initial notes for the week um from monday i wanted to look at kittle because we've just seen tight ends do work on the seahawks all season long and then i kind of got around to Similar spot where I'm like, well, I think the Debo thing can temper that based off of again small sample, but I do think that it at least you know just going to curtails a little bit here, and you get the weather element too. So there's a couple of things working in his favor or against him from being in a good spot, even though the matchup is is pretty advantageous. So I'll right, move on to the Saturday nightcap. Uh, we got these two young quarterbacks to debuts in the playoffs here with the chargers in jacksonville uh this one's moved a bunch um you can argue it's not been necessarily impactful movement but again we're bouncing around between the pick and two on the charger side uh there is a two and a half out there um on uh, on fanduel again leaning towards jacksonville so it's close to coming back to two you got a total out to 47 and a half I don't know what happened last week with the Chargers. It was really strange. I mean, they had everything locked up. I'm sure that, you know, you've heard lots about that already this week. I don't really know what they were doing with the starters out there and are kind of dealing with some of the consequences. Um, Mike Williams dinged up, uh, did not practice today. Joey Bosa dinged up there. He looks like he's going to be okay, but this is a rematch from early this season, week three, where the Jags absolutely destroyed the Chargers couple things in that one. They did not have Keenan Allen, and we've seen Keenan Allen just totally change the dynamic of this Chargers team. It was also about 10 days after Justin Herbert got absolutely crushed in that Chiefs game. It was probably playing with broken ribs and really struggled. But, I mean, the Jags boat raced the Chargers in that one, thumping them big time at home. So now they have the rest advantage, which is weird here in the playoffs. They have a little bit of advantage because they played there on Saturday as well. Take a let you get started with Chargers-Jags. 
No Keenan Allen in that first matchup as well, and that's made all the difference since Herbert has averaged over eight yards per attempt with Allen on the field so far this year. But Mike Williams likely missing from this game, DMP through Wednesday, not to mention we're still monitoring Joey Bosa's injury, and those both matter significantly here. Also, what we keep doing, and as someone who has had skin in the game with the Chargers the past two months, I can tell you the wrong road to take is to keep wish-casting their offense into something they aren't. Like, there's a reason why Justin Herbert finished dead last in the league in air yards per attempt. Like, the offensive approach will not change under Joe Lombardi. And so I don't want to suddenly say, like, yes, the, the Jaguars' defense led the league in EPA per play in the last month, but also we know it doesn't matter because they closed the year against turnover-prone Dak Prescott, Zach Wilson, Davis Mills, and Josh Dobbs in that time. I don't want to just suddenly forecast Justin Herbert into this ceiling game when he's had opportunities. Whenever he, he played the Colts and finished with 212 yards and no touchdown. Whenever he played the Rams and scored two touchdowns but was still under 250 passing yards. And then last week goes into the fourth quarter for no good reason against the Ram and against the Broncos, meaningless game, and doesn't go over 300 yards either. So I am a little bit concerned here, but at the same time, yes. The Jaguars' defense is significantly bad, and at least we know Trevor Lawrence had turned a corner, especially inside the red zone, two months prior to last week's performance. Because the narrative is totally different if the Jags don't recover that fumble in the fourth quarter and go on to win the division. Then it's all of a sudden Trevor Lawrence like doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, can't play well in big games since he never played well in bowl games throughout college. Uh, instead, it's now Trevor Lawrence is the next coming, and the Jaguars are going to immediately win this game. So honestly, I would just say be careful because there are thousand ranges of outcomes for this contest, and we've been led astray far too many times for believing the Chargers offense is what it is not. So I will pick in a vacuum the Chargers, but I admittedly don't have confident money on it as I do the 49ers. Yeah, Connor, not insignificant movement because anytime we're moving, it, you know, it matters. It's definitely going to impact money line prices and stuff like this, which are going to make a difference when we're dealing with, you know, playing around inside the three. But, um, you know, are the Jags an interesting teaser leg? Because I think they are. So I, I think there's a couple of things here. <clears throat> One, Herbert, we saw last time he played, you, you said he was hurt. So, on the season as a whole, if we exclude that game, he had a 73% on-target throw rate. That game, he had the worst on-target throw rate of his of his season. It was like around 60% or worse. So at that point, uh, you know, I don't think, especially without Keenan Allen, you know, really struggled. But then we look at this Jaguar secondary. So Cleve TA tweeted this out, and I thought this was perfect. On the whole season, they're 17th in EPA and pass, passing EPA per play. If you exclude the games against bottom five passing offenses, they're 31st. And we've seen them play against two top five passing offenses this year. They allowed 331 passing yards to Mahomes. They allowed 330 to Jared Goff and the Lions, who by DVOA is a top five passing offense, which I mean, I think is arguable, arguable, but they're efficient to say the least. I think they're like fringe top 10 at worst, depending on the ranking. So they're like first in offensive DVOA over like the last six weeks. So Detroit is in the conversation. Right. So, so I think those are things that are interesting here. And we look at like the Jags makeup here defensively, like in their secondary, they have uh, they have Campbell, a corner who's played awesome. I mean, he's like PFF's fifth grade corner. He's played really well. The rest of their secondary is literal garbage. I mean, it's like so bad. So, I mean, uh, I'm watch your mouth about Rayshon Jenkins. Your your guy Rayshon is a tackle god. I mean, but he can't do much else than other than tackle because uh, you know they're they're letting up big gains. But I mean, I think regardless, I do think Daigle's point there though about it's like a massive range of outcomes. I personally like the over in this game because I think that. The Chargers have success uh, when passing the ball. Even if they don't skew pass heavy, I, I do think they have success. And then I think that 
the uh, the Jaguars have success running the ball, and we've seen Doug Peterson kind of scheme up different plans based on who they're playing. Uh, the Chargers' run defense has been horrible. The first game they played, uh, they combined James Robinson, you know, dustiest guy running back in the league at this point, and Travis Etienne combined for 145 rushing yards. Uh, I think Travis Etienne could have a ceiling day, even if they're behind a little bit. Um, but I think he could have a big game, and I, I expect both sides to have success here. And I think that Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars are volatile enough. I wouldn't say good enough, but volatile enough to pass into any secondary at this point uh, and have reasonable success. And the Chargers secondary has played better as of late, but they're still burnable. And so I think in the spot here, I like the over 47 and a half, especially if the Chargers can push the pace at all. Travis Etienne has played the Titans in two of his last five games, which as we know, you don't have success against. We were under his props this past week. And of course he went under, uh, but the three games in between those two matchups against the Titans, he averaged six and a half yards per touch. They just gave him the ball at will. And we know this Chargers defense, despite having a better EPA, despite being better in defensive DVOA since week 13, I think because they've gotten healthier in that time. In that in that span, they've still permitted a top seven rate of 10-yard runs with 5.2 yards per carry. So I foresee a massive Travis Etienne game as well. Sequencing matters, because here's the one thing that Jacksonville's defense does really well. They are terrific at stopping the run on first down. Their base is ready for you to run into them. And they've done it really well all season. They are, I think, fourth in DVOA on first down, rush defensive DVOA. The rest of it is bad. Passing on first down, running on set, like all of it. But if you want to run into them on first down, they have been really good at putting you into second and long and making you kind of work and stay behind the chains. So that's going to be on the play caller and figuring out the sequencing. You cannot overstate the Keenan Allen piece because – as you mentioned, I think the dynamic of the offense is totally different. And then the Jags, that's really been where they've been like hemorrhaging production against their opponents. Uh, they are 29th in DVOA against slot receivers this season. Amon Rock dominated them. Uh, CeeDee Lamb had a monster game against them in the slot. We're basically going to see Keenan Allen eat here. And I imagine a lot of dump downs still with, you know, early stuff and, and low A dot stuff on. Um, on Eckler too. I wish the prop number was a little bit better. It's four and a half juiced out there. That would be of interest to me too, especially what they need to do offensively, Dago, when you don't have Mike Williams here, which again, as of now, not practice as of Wednesday night as we record. And eight career games with Justin Herbert, where Mike Williams has either been limited or inactive altogether. Keenan Allen has seen 29% of the team's targets. I I'm going to bet ladders. And if it were not for Justin Jefferson playing against man coverage, we'll get there when we get to that game. I think Keenan Allen would lead wildcard weekend in targets. Don't hate that at all. Yeah, Keenan Allen, six and a half receptions, I think is the number. It's definitely, uh, definitely an interesting look. So uh, hang out for the prop show on Friday. See if we have more. Or, uh, if you subscribe, 19 bucks, you can get in the Discord and see if Dave will put that out as an official play this week. So I, I kind of wanted to steal some props from y'all already, but I didn't want to step on your toes. Uh, no, get in there, fire! Okay, there's there's some really good numbers out there. Yeah. I like a lot. There's some stuff. I, yeah, we can we hug it if we like it. We get in okay. there. It doesn't it's all yeah. good? All right. Yeah, I may get in there after this then. Yep, no worries. We're a family. Uh, all right, Sunday we have uh, Miami and Buffalo. Obviously, a lot going on there. We are out to 13, 13 and a half in some spots on the Buffalo side. Forty three and a half looks to be the total here. This is you know again not long ago. Uh, you know, close to seven. And we had movement, you know, nine and a half, ten. With thoughts it was moving towards Miami. We thought two was coming back. By all accounts, as we sit here currently, again, Wednesday night recording, this feels like a Skylar Thompson start. They are preparing him 
to get ready. Uh, Teddy's dealing with both a knee and a finger issue. Tua, thank you, is <laughs> still dealing with concussion and is not out of concussion protocol. Um, this is not the spot to throw him back into the Wolves. Again, Miami could not catch a break down the stretch, could barely beat a Joe Flacco-led team there uh, to get into the playoffs, but here they are. Connor, let you get started. 13 points, Miami and Buffalo. Yeah, it sucks because I really thought we were going to get Tua. The line moved a little bit uh, yesterday. It went from like 10 and a half to nine, which I thought was a pretty good, uh, you know, thought there that Tua is going to play. Uh, but now we're getting Skylar Thompson. I mean, they said they're preparing as if Skylar Thompson is going to start. Uh, what an absolute disaster. I mean, he's been with what a, a coach that we consider to be one of the best offensive minds in the game right now, considering Tua's improvement from year one to year two. I mean, right now, Skylar Thompson has completed 60 of 105 passes, 57% completion rate, 530 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, averaging five yards per attempt. I mean, just absolutely pathetic despite having, you know, Tyree Kill, despite having Jalen Waddle now playing against a pretty tough Buffalo defense. You know, they're not the same as they were, uh, you know, in previous years, but they're still a good unit, um, you know, top five in basically every metric. So I don't see how the Dolphins have a chance like at all. Um, I know we've talked about, you know, teasers at some points throughout the week, but I mean, like, this is what just one of those teams that it would take like, you know, a blocked punt and like multiple pick sixes bouncing off of like players for the dolphins to keep this game close, because I don't see a way where Buffalo doesn't at least put up like 24 and Miami. I, I mean, their team total right now is like what 14 and a half. I mean, I don't even think they're going to score 14 and a half. How? So, I mean, I, I really struggle to see how they have ton, a ton of success here. And Buffalo didn't lose a single game by more than three points this year. So, you know, they keep it close regardless. I don't think they're a boots to throats team anymore without Brian Dable, honestly. So it's not like I necessarily expect them to dominate through the passing game and then call it quits. Aiken to the massacre in Foxborough when they opened the playoffs last year against New England. But honestly, it's a game where I expect just Devin Singletary and James Cook to dominate. Josh Allen is well on the ground because, like Connor said, the Dolphins can't carry their weight with Skylar Thompson here. 57% completion race. They're in one touchdown all year. Even Tyreek Hill, like their best player, averaged over 10 yards per target from Tua. And from Skyler, when he's been on the field, it's been cut in half just to five yards per target. It's a mess. So it's just one of those games where if it's less than 14 points, you lay the points and just don't watch the game. Tyreek's dealing with some stuff too, right? Like he had to really kind of tough through that. I imagine he he's playing and they need him. And I, you know, but still, like you'd rather have him healthy, right? You'd rather have Raheem Mostert there too to kind of try to balance if you want to play, you know, clock and game control and just say, hey, we're going to just do our best to limit Skylar Thompson's decisions that he has to make. We're going to try to keep Josh Allen on the sideline and we're just going to run it with these two guys. You can't even do that because Mostert is, is dinged up as well. So it's, it's a real, Real tough spot for Miami, who, again, has not had a lot of playoff appearances in the last handful of years and gets there, and unfortunately they got to run out Skylar Thompson. To that point, that was Miami's answer in this last matchup because, yes, Miami played the Bills close in both games, but it was with Tua, and even in the last game, he wasn't good, but he at least was good enough to complete crossers to Jalen Waddle to spike big plays and big touchdowns, but they still had 23 running back carries, their most their highest run play rate in a game with Tua after their bye. Raheem Mostert averaged eight yards per carry on 17 rushes. He had a 20-yard catch. They won't even have him in this game, I don't think. So it, I just don't know how to paint a pretty picture here other than the Bills just kind of walking to the divisional round. Yeah, that was how they limited and won the first game is they kept Josh Allen on the sideline. I think the Bills had like 
40 plays in that game in Miami in the heat, uh, which is just a, a wild game. They, again, they played in some crazy, crazy games this season with like extreme heat and extreme cold. And, you know, now this one's going to be just uh, probably extremely boring. And uh, like you said, it's, it starts Sunday and uh, yeah, it's going to be kind of a snoozer. Uh, the prime spot shockingly is the giants and Vikings of all things on Sunday afternoon. This one painted three across the board. 48, 48 and a half is the total, depending on your book. So you can shop around if you have a lean there. Again, like this is a rematch. We saw this you know, game not too long ago. Came down to a last second field goal. We know how these teams want to play. We know what these teams want to do. They are, I think, in, in terms of like you get a lot of these teams that can be, you know, a little bit more pliable schematically depending on the matchup. And I think the Giants and Vikings, for the most part, are very true to who they are identity-wise in terms of what they like to do defensively, um, what they like to scheme up offensively. And I think it makes that a little bit of an interesting chess match to see what adjustments are made and what are not. You brought up an interesting point, Dave. I'll kick it to you to start. But one thing that I found interesting in digging into this is that the Giants brought pressure, as we know they're going to do. We know that Wink Martindale is going to blitz a ton. They blitz 44% of the drawbacks in that first game. They didn't play a lot of man relative to how much they play man in that one, which I think is interesting. They typically are a team that plays a lot of man behind the blitz. And in that matchup, they played a little bit more zone than normal. So I'm interested to see if there's something that goes, if that was a chess match or if they knew, hey, there's a chance maybe we rematch these guys in the playoffs. So obviously we know that trying to bracket Justin Jefferson with man coverage and the safety over the top did not work. Uh, he should probably feast here, but uh, it should be a, a fun one. My concern is that the Vikings offense has become one dimensional. And we've touched on this in the past, but now in his last seven games, Dalvin cook has averaged 3.4 yards per carry against Chicago's backups. He averaged 3.3 yards per carry before he got injured. Even Alexander Madison had success in overgoing in going over five yards per carry on 10 runs. Uh, whereas remember, Kirk Cousins averaged 48 pass tens per game and three weeks prior to being forced off the field in that third quarter blowout against the Packers. He had 31 attempts to that point, though. And then, of course, throws 20 passes in the first half in week 18 against Chicago. Like, they know their only way to move the ball right now. Despite the Giants being a poor run defense, they know they can't run the ball. And thus, it's going to lead them to only throwing the ball. And that's why I think we're going to see a ton of volume for Justin Jefferson. Yes, maybe they come with more zone. But I still think in a in a game that matters the most, in a one-and-done situation, we're still going to get Wink Martindale blitzing and continuing to blitz at the league's highest rate. And since T.J. Hawkinson was required mid-year in Week 9, Justin Jefferson, you wouldn't think so, but behind the scenes, his rates have only gone up against man coverage because now we have Hawkinson alleviating some pressure in the intermediate level of the field. Justin Jefferson, since Week 9, is fourth in yards per route run against man coverage with 20 yards per catch against that scheme. So I honestly think it's a situation where we're flop-lagging the 194 he needed last week, and we get that in a high-volume game this week. But, but... Although I am the sucker and I am the fish that are betting the Giants money line, I will say if you go into the, the pro football reference database, uh, quarterbacks in the last four years since they expanded the extra wildcard teams, first-year quarterbacks are 5-13 and 13 against the spread when playing against veteran situations. So that would be my one concern here, given that it's Daniel Jones' first appearance in the playoffs, but in Day Bowl we trust. And that's another thing. They shifted a little bit more in that game, and they knew – 
this perimeter defense for the Vikings cannot do anything. And they chucked it around and had success. Richie James had a great day. Zay Hodgins, like these guys that we've been like, how in the world is this team in the playoffs? Um, like these guys are starting to like to do some stuff. Um, again, it's an interesting unit. Um, Connor, I'd love to get your thoughts on this matchup. Yeah, I think it's notable too that the Vikings are going to be on, I believe it's their third string center at this point. Uh, and their offensive line is banged up, whereas the Giants are continuing to get healthier defensively. Uh, and, you know, Daniel Jones, like you mentioned, crushed it last time 330 passing yards against his Vikings defense, which I think, as we all have talked about, is really not all that good. Uh, and, you know, quarterbacks have been able to succeed against them. I mean, it was like Isaiah Hodgins, Richie James were both, you know, threatening with 100 yards in that one. Uh, I mean, guys that should not be doing that, but. We're having tons of success. So I'm not really sure that I expect this game to be the kind of, I guess it was like a mini shootout 27, 24 last time. But um, you know, in this spot here, I, I kind of like the giants at plus three. I don't know. I mean, Vikings are, it's been talked about throughout the industry, you know, easily the worst uh, team given their record in like DVOA history right now, 27 overall. Amazing. And the giants it's are crazy. 21st. And the, the, the fact that the giants are 21st with the talent they have is pretty incredible. I mean, they're 10th in offensive DVOA, which is nuts given that they have no one, they have Saquon Barkley, who's been like, you know, literally gone up and down the whole year with, after his workload increased, he couldn't do anything as Daigle, you know, proudly noted mid season. Uh, and, you know, Daniel Jones, who has been basically a below replacement level quarterback for most of his career until, you know, this year where he's been, I guess, I don't know, average above average, I guess, which is a big deal with, if Brian Dable could do that with no weapons. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that in this spot here, I like the giants plus three, but, I don't know. I don't have a ton of conviction because I just don't want to bet on this team. My other strengths, my arguments for also the Giants would be that since week 10, they have a higher EPA per play, just two spots, 13th to 15th, but higher EPA per play than the Vikings. So they've been better behind the scenes and advanced rates. Daniel Jones actually leads all quarterbacks to completion rate and touchdown rate inside the red zone since week 10. And... If you are leaning towards a prop bet, I will flag plant Richie James over Isaiah Hodgins this week. Uh, the Vikings have thrown a bunch of shit at the wall the last five games. They're just trying something new because their defense is so bad. And what that's led to is them being top six in man coverage in that time. And that's actually made them quite good against boundary receivers, or at least better than they were by a significant margin. But at the same time, uh, they've allowed the second most touchdowns to slot receivers in that span and the second most yards per game in the slot as well. And of course, that's Richie James' territory. And from weeks 12 through 17, whenever James entered the starting lineup, when he returned from injury, uh, he's the only player on the Giants who soaked up a 20% target share in that time. So I like Richie James a lot this week. Yeah, I like him. I like the number two. I think his his prop is like, I think, like 45 or so. Oh, we're going over. Yeah, Double. eight for 90 in the, the first game. So the Giants in the last six weeks, offensive DVOA, they're fifth. On the season, every game, they are the top red zone offense in the league in DVOA. They are the number one passing offense in the league. If this isn't the coach of the year, people, I don't know what we're doing here. This is the coach of the year with this just absolute mismatch unit that is scheming things up really well. I don't know. It's it's insane. And as you mentioned too, Connor, like the injury issues up front for the, the Vikings, I think are key. Garrett Bradbury, Brian O'Neill, I think both are kind of set to miss this one. That's another thing to Daigle's point. Like the Giants have started to get more out of their front forward here, especially as like Thibodeau started to come on as the season's gone. They could probably get there 
without bringing the house, which will allow them to protect a little bit more and, you know, bracket and do things to be able to cover both Hawk underneath and allow you to, to, you know, responsibly double Justin Jefferson. I mean, I just haven't heard a lot of pro Vikings thoughts and I, I just haven't heard anyone really can with conviction be like, yeah, like three is the right side. Now the market will tell you that there's so much pro giants in the space and it's not moving, right? They are not coming down to two and a half, which is again, something that we think we need to have a little respect for. So I'm there. I, again, I haven't heard anyone be like, yeah, I love Minnesota. I'm laying the three. They are the better team and they're going to take care of business. The only thing that I thought to uh, that is like, I guess a pro Vikings, at least offensively is you mentioned, you know, Kirk versus man, like through the first like eight or 10 games, Kirk was like one of the worst quarterbacks against man coverage. Actually like right prior to their game against the Patriots, I believe it was um, where he ended up uh, playing pretty well. And then against the giants played really well. And so then like he, and also against pressure. So like in against the blitz, he was like some of the, one of the bottom tier quarterbacks, but has like gotten much better throughout the season. So, you know, I guess that's a point where if he can overcome those factors that he really struggled with, I mean, the first eight weeks, literally like a bottom feeder uh, in those metrics, if you can overcome that, then maybe the offense, you know, can put up a bigger number that the giants can't come back from, but I just don't see a way that the, the Vikings defense is really able to stop the giants offense, which sounds hilarious, but uh, I mean, I just kind of feel that way. I just don't, I don't see it happening. All right. It's another divisional matchup. We have a rematch actually of last week's game. Baltimore is on the road in Cincinnati. A lot of movement here uh, around quarterback issues as well. Eight and a half across the board. 40 and a half is the total for you. Again, we had a lot of concerns about, are we maybe going to finally see Lamar Jackson? We know in a similar situation to Miami, like the backup is also dealing with an injury. So you're really dealing with the potential of either the starter coming back finally, and that changes the dynamic a lot, or the third stringer who really has no business being in a football game at, at this level in the playoffs and no disrespect to Anthony Brown, his family. Congratulations, a terrific career at Oregon. This is just a totally different uh, space for you. And um, here we are. This is moves basically six and a half. So we're out there. You know, 24 hours ago, we're basically through there. Eight and a half. Uh, Connor, let you get started with uh, Ravens Bengals. Yeah, I mean, I I rocked the Bengals at minus seven. I mean, we we got worried that Lamar was not going to play, and so we were. Uh, I was hammering that. I put him in a bunch of teasers. Uh, you know, I was just like, I mean, everything. Like, I I could see the way that the Ravens keep it close defensively because uh, I'll let Daigle dive into it more. But you know. Their offensive line has really struggled. Their offense hasn't been the same without it. And so at this point here, like I can see the Ravens defense at least putting up a little bit of a fight. They kind of shut down T. Higgins last week. Uh, Jamar obviously still had a big day, but uh, you know, I think that there's enough reason to keep it close. I just there's this offense will have no signs of life. You know, they, the only way that like a good game at all or like move the ball was like occasionally a big run that they would have, and that was like random. They Anthony Brown threw just horrendous picks multiple times that are like game ending interceptions basically. So the fact that the game was even, you know, as close as it was, was pretty surprising. But I think in this spot here, like they already saw what they, what Anthony Brown is. He's not an NFL quarterback. The matchup is pretty bad. The Bengals run defense with DJ reader is awesome. So like I have no faith in the Ravens here covering the number at eight and a half. So I still lean towards the Bengals, honestly up to 10. Um, but I still, and I think that that will move there that way. Once Lamar is like officially, officially out right now, he's technically like trending out, but he's out. He's not going to play. My only concern with the 
Pringles covering, which is why I don't have a side on the line, is that I think this game is so low scoring that like maybe the Bengals can't even score enough to cover this game. Uh, but yes, you're right. Anthony Brown is not an NFL quarterback. He wasn't at Boston College either, which is, doesn't make any sense why he's suddenly put in this situation. And remember in this, the last matchup these two teams played or their first matchup, excluding week 18, since that one doesn't matter. They didn't have any of their starters on offense out there. Thus, no one to push the Bengals into any ceiling performance. Uh, no T Higgins. And that, that matters because Burrow has completed 72% of his passes with T Higgins on the field this year compared to just 61% without Higgins. At the same time, like the dude, these last two games, losing Lyle Collins and then this past week losing right guard Alex Kappa, who is essentially a, a, a all pro interior player, that's big. And so I, I know it's a short stint. It's not a big sample, but in Burrow's last seven quarters, I think that's the reason he's averaged uh, 5.4 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, just two picks. And that was in that. Patriots game where everything started going downhill in the second half and everyone said, oh, the Patriots changed things up at halftime. No, I genuinely just think it's because they had to change their game plan because Burrow is under duress. Teams are still playing too high safety against him a majority of the time as well. And that's why I think we've seen Joe Mixon with 14 targets the past two games. So I just don't think there's a ceiling performance for anyone in this game. And I expect it to be really ugly. Bengals, Ultimately, I expect to get the job done, just given how poor the Ravens' offense is. They were fourth in offensive DVOA with, with Lamar Jackson. Top 10 in points per game and yards per play as well, which is why I was hoping we were getting Lamar, because I really think the Beagles could win this game outright. But without him and on their third-string quarterback, there's no chance here. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that you both said. I took some six-and-a-halves. I took some six-and-a-halves and added, like, you know, money lines for you know the Niners and money lines for you know Buffalo like I mixed it up a little bit because I wanted to try to get as much down there as I can but I kind of agree with Daigle and actually uh, Steven Ruiz from the ringer uh, had some interesting notes here the two games against Baltimore uh, this season the Bengals have completed just seven passes of more than 10 air yards on the season um, which is not really their mo and then um, the success rate for Burrow is drastically different too. On the season, non-Ravens matchups, Burrow's success rate, 50.3%. In the two matchups against the Ravens, 36.6%. And Baltimore's doing it without getting a ton of pressure. Um, they're just giving him, I think, a lot of interesting pre-snap looks that is enough to pause and hold Burrow to throw the ball a little bit later. And that could become a factor with the offensive line injuries kind of mounting. So I do think the Bengals earlier with the right side eight and a half is a little much but again like man i i don't want to, to turn the cards over and that game starts and i have an anthony brown ticket like that would feel awful so i do think it's probably still Bengals or nothing we again this is probably more so than the first game i talked about as a teaser like because of that game with jacksonville and the chargers dagle mentioned the range of outcomes is pretty vast and you're dealing with a high total in a spot here where we can take the Bengals. Tease them under the seven, past the seven, past the three in a low-scoring game. This is like a like prototypical wet dream, long teaser leg. And I think the Bengals are a great one if you're looking to dabble there this weekend. It's also Jarn Harbaugh in the playoffs versus Zach Taylor, who got really lucky. The dominoes fell perfectly for the Bengals last year. If you asked me which big favorite you would – think loses outright if you had to pick one this week it's absolutely the Bengals man I I'm worried that the Ravens defense wins this game yeah I mean it's Harbaugh's yeah I mean the coaching mismatches especially in the playoffs I think is is sizable um part of it for me is I'm just kind of a 
a burrow sucker. Like I just, you know, I love, I buy into all the swag. I buy into all the narrative. I think that he's kind of that dude. Um, So I think that's why he was able to kind of elevate Zach Taylor through some of those things. And I think he is kind of that kind of guy. So the offensive line injuries are an issue, but maybe they're kind of getting back to the same type of offensive line they had last year. It was good enough to take them to the playoffs. Again, as you mentioned, easy path, but be harder this year. They're a terrible futures bet because of that. Because yes, you may escape this one, but then in order to make the Super Bowl, you are guaranteed to basically go on the road against Buffalo and Kansas City. You can't get past both. And then if you get there, then you have to beat the 49ers or Eagles most likely. So it's like the Bengals, if you win this year, congratulations, because you've earned it this year. You do not want that. We can't have that for you. <laughs> yeah, I think Daigle has to like delete the account or at least delete the tweet uh, if that happens because there will be some, I'm sure, some Bengals beat writers hopping in your mentions again, just like there was in the preseason, you know, uh, victory lapping again over, you know, something that I thought was actually a pretty reasonable take. Imagine imagine rooting for teams. Uh, yeah, these, these people come. I got a guy that just pops up. He's a, a Lions fan. I don't even remember saying anything bad about the Lions. Kanish? I think I, no, not Kanish. He doesn't count. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't even remember mocking them. I think I mock the phrase restore the roar because I don't know what you're restoring. They've sucked forever. Yep. But like, I, you know, like I was cheering for the, I bet the Lions, like whatever. They People still like, they, by the way, didn't make the playoffs. So like you come in strong at me Monday morning after them not making the playoffs isn't really a great look, but I don't know. It's, it's fandom is a hell of a drug. So it's part of, uh, part of what we deal with at times. So sounds like Jax wants to join the show. Maybe that happens here in the next moment. Luckily, we're on our last game. Monday Night Football, we have the Cowboys in Tampa Bay. This matchup, we feel like we've had uh, on paper in our mind for a, a solid month here with the Cowboys being locked in for a long time here in the five seed. Basically, this is another one that they feel locked in. We are two and a half across the board. Um, we're juicing towards the three, which I think is interesting. I don't know that we get there. But we'll see. 45 and a half is your total across the board. Just like we talked about with the Chargers, pretty worrisome, concerning Cowboys stretch of football. Um, it kind of came to a head in the Commanders game where they really didn't have anything to play for. It kind of rolled everyone out there and then took a 26 to 6 L. But the weeks before that haven't been really good either. Um, it is kind of a struggling football team where everyone has been waiting for the Buccaneers, for the lights to turn on and to have – Again, a team that has a lot of guys from the Super Bowl run here, but we really haven't seen it. But we got basically a single glimpse uh, in a game against the Carolina Panthers, and now everyone's like, we feel pretty good about the Buccaneers again. So I don't know what to make of this one, Dave. I'll let you get started with Cowboys-Bucks, but it should be an entertaining football game. Among the, the many outcomes that could happen here, I do think the highest floor of all is at least the Cowboys offense getting there uh, because the Bucks defense is not good. 34 points allowed to the Bengals, 35 to the Niners. We had the the Ravens scoring 27 for Lamar Jackson against them. The Chiefs reached 41. So I do have confidence in the Cowboys offense. Uh, at the same time, though, I am aware, because everyone cites the same thing when building the case for the Cowboys and trying to ignore this one-week sample of Week 18, that Dallas's offense is sixth in EPA per play and top five in EPA per dropback since Dak Prescott returned from injury in Week 7. They've averaged 35 points per game in that time ahead of Week 18, and there are some playoff models that look ahead through the future, including 538 and others, that weigh the Cowboys as a, a real contender in the NFC. But I, I just wonder how much those things actually matter given that 
There is a reason why Dallas hasn't won a road playoff game in 30 years, and it's because they don't know how to build personnel in an organization. Uh, they always get injured and thus have to put in replacements, and then those replacements gets burned at the end of the year. And we saw that against Washington. Like, they were on Deron Bland as their default starting nickel corner. Kelvin Joseph got benched. Deshaun Wright was taken off the field, and Trayvon Mullen played half the team snaps in place of them. Uh, and Xavier Rhodes was signed to the practice squad just a couple, just this past week, and I fully expect him to be active and play quite a bit in this game on Monday night against the Bucks. Sam Howell didn't even target Trevon Diggs once in that game. And if Sam Howell knows you can pick on everyone else in the defense, what the hell do you think Tom Brady thinks? Also, going into that Panthers game in Week 17, the month prior, Tom Brady, of course, seven touchdowns, nine turnovers. But now you look at his last two games, and he's just dominated with a 75% completion rate, 8.3 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, and zero picks. So overall, like I actually do have the most faith in the and the Bucks' offense answering here and getting on top because you can't sell the Cowboys' defense anymore as a deciding factor either. Since week 10, they've allowed the sixth highest rate of passing touchdowns, eighth in yards per attempt, and a league-high completion rate on throws 20 yards downfield. So I almost expect this game to go over. And if anything, although the Cowboys, I do expect them to score at least three touchdowns, especially because this is a C.D. Lamb game. The Bucks still can't stop anyone from the slot. He's going to have a monster game here. Either way, though, uh, the Bucks. I'm picking the money line. I understand that it's, even in being favorites, it's almost square because everyone watched Week 18. Everyone saw the Cowboys go three and out on 12 of 15 possessions. But at the same time, it's just a significantly better spot here. And if you ask me which futures I'm on as well, I, I think I would, at their lowest point, pick the Bucks more so than anyone in the NFC. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it felt like we were been like salivating on waiting to short whoever won that division, Connor, and here we are, and this Dallas team just kind of sputtered down the stretch. Um, love to get your thoughts on this one. It's, kind of, I think, going to be one of the better games of the week. Yeah, I think a month ago I said on this show that if Dallas played the Bucks in the playoffs, uh, I would be laying Dallas minus like 10. Uh, and so at this point, a lot of things have changed. Uh, and But I think part of it is, is the recency bias. I mean, like, I just have not seen – an offense that is going to be like considered a good team look that bad against Washington. Like, I mean, ever it's hard to overcome that. And then we also have, like you said, the defense has played terribly as of late. And so you have those two factors and then you get a, a I mean, a good game from Brady and, and, you know, the, the bucks who for most of the season have been largely lost offensively. And so I don't know. I like, originally I was like, Oh, bucks plus three. Like, that's a great bet. Now I'm kind of like, you know, hemming and hawing back and forth because I think that, like you said, I think the Cowboys offense, that was probably just a fluke. Like I'm willing to bet on them coming back here against the Bucs in the playoffs, putting up a good number. Um, but I also think the Brady can can hang with them. So over 45 and a half is probably my look. Probably not touching the side here because I really do think it just depends on who shows play. Like if we get the Cowboys the last week, they're going to lose by 20. You know, if we get the Bucs from, you know, midseason that have were playing horribly, they're going to lose by 20. So I think that range of outcomes in this game are massive. But either way, I expect a good amount of points. The thing is, is, like we're talking about the recency bias on the Cowboys kind of sputtering and like the Buccaneers have somehow like been this like new team. Over the last six weeks, they are 27th in total DVOA. They are 30th in pass DVOA. They are still really susceptible to a strong passing game. Their special teams are garbage. Um, they have a massive advantage in special teams. Jax agrees. He's backing. Uh, sounds like the, the Cowboys here. He's not buying the, 
the reason C on the on Brady in the box. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's uh it's just so interesting because I feel like the narrative is that the Bucks are playing better football. Literally, literally, it was just a game, one game against the Panthers, where kind of the offense kind of came together for the first time. Defense is still struggling. It is definitely the square side. Like I said, I, I don't feel good about it. I know I know have many sharp friends who are on the Cowboys. At the same time, I just can't get there. Uh, and maybe it's biased because I've seen this for the last two decades now. And again, I explained there's a reason why the Cowboys are always playing their worst football at this time of the year. It's not luck. It, it's genuinely a trend because the team does not know how to build their roster. It happens every single season. Um, yes, I, I just cannot have any amount of faith in, right now in the Cowboys defense. And I will take a... You know, maybe maybe they're worse, but I'll take the Bucks offense regardless. Like Brady's literally eighth in yards per attempt from no huddle, and yet this team continues running into the ground on early first downs. They're literally their bottom in the league in yards per carry on early down runs, first and second down. But at least we know like Cowboys are still above average. Like they're allowing the twelfth most yards per carry on early downs, so they're still an above average defense and leaking that kind of production. So even if the Bucks want to continue doing the suboptimal approach on offense, the Cowboys defense is bad enough of late that they will allow them to do that. Uh, also, Leonard Fournette, he went over eighty yards rushing in one game all year, and it was Week One against the Cowboys where he averaged six yards per carry and. W- totaled 127 on the ground. Um, I just think they can really, the Bucks can beat them in any direction. You just pick your poison and the Cowboys can't stop them. So I'm worried about this spot. Yeah, I don't have a conviction in the Cowboys either, um, to be honest. I just, um, um, it feels similar to the Giants and Vikings game where I feel like we're hearing a lot more of, of uh, people backing the, you know, the Bucks than, than anything there too. All right. Uh, Real quick, uh, any thoughts in the future market in terms of Super Bowl, Super Bowl matchups? You can do exactas, uh, betting outright on a Super Bowl winner based off of kind of having an idea of you know, kind of what those matchups look like. Obviously, we have you know maybe a pending coin toss or um, you know neutral field spot here. But uh, any thoughts, Connor? I'll start with you in the future market. Yeah, there's two that I kind of circled, and they're both Super Bowl MVP bets. One that I thought was interesting. I'll start with the longer shot was so the chargers are 20 to one to win the super bowl justin herbert's 25 to one to win super bowl mvp if they're making the super bowl he's winning the super bowl mvp like they don't like it's i mean basically lock it in so i think at that point if you think that he can be the jags he does have a tough road again it's like through the chiefs and the bills probably but you know i think that at that point you're like you're getting you're paying the price for it. it's 25 to one so you know i think that's a decent long shot another one that i really like though i'm i'm sipping the niners kool-aid you know i think cmc here can win super bowl mvp 18 to one, you know, if you're Brock Purdy, like they're probably going to go run centric most of their games here. I think that we've seen it, you know, from the Niners in the past, like kind of just keep, as long as their defense holds tight there, they're going to be running the ball, running the ball a lot. And CMC's used in the passing game, used in the running game. Like I just, there's so many ways for him to succeed. And he's like very clearly, you know, I guess at this point, their most valuable player, um, unless Brock Purdy has to go out and put up like 400 yards, in which case he would win, but still think CMC has a great shot there. And that's like, I think it's 18 to one, something like that, 20 to one. So um, I think just another way to get like, a little bit of long shot exposure to the Niners making the Super Bowl. We got JD parlay Bucks money line and Sean Payton as Dallas head coach. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably really interesting here, especially if they lose here in the first week. I think that is uh, you if, know, maybe a fireable spot. If for they get TCU'd out of Tampa Bay, uh, it's oh. absolutely going to be a new head coach. I'm not jumping into anything else. I was happened to be in the app, uh, you know, probably five, six weeks ago. Shopping around, looking for some props when Clark, uh, Sharp Clark, fired off on the uh, Chiefs over 
Niners exacta for 30 to one. Um, I got in on that feel like we're in a pretty good spot there. And that would probably be still where I feel like I would want to go. Um, I know that the bills, Kansas city game, if that happens would be really interesting and really exciting. And I know that obviously the path for the Niners is uh, we're going to have to fight through Philly, who I think is getting healthy. They needed to buy. They kind of limped down the stretch and I think they're going to get healthier, but I think that that's kind of where I'd be if I were to place anything live in that spot now. So, all right, gentlemen, good stuff as always. Props on Friday, again, 2 p.m. Eastern here on the same channel. Connor and I with Pat Mayo. Daigle will continue to be grinding. Lots of other stuff can the folks look out for, Daigle. DFS will still be back Friday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. I believe TJ Hernandez is watching the show awkwardly right now. Uh, and then our DFS articles will be up. It's three big slates. We have a Saturday slate. We have a Sunday slate. We have a six-gamer going through Monday. And honestly, you know, for some reasons we painted – the, the Giants-Vikings game going to be the most popular, and I think it's a pretty easy fade on a six-game slate, whereas the Bucks cowboys is hot as a Monday night hammer. So, yeah, lots of reasons to be tuning in DFS this week. I think there are edges here. Old-school DFS Monday night hammer uh, as my son plays with my lights. Well, you say Monday, but I, I know you're not hardcore in the streets anymore, but FanDuel the last two weeks has just given up and made it old-school because they haven't I heard even, that, though. Yeah, they haven't flexed out the Sunday night game. They literally just got lazy, and they left the Sunday night game in. But... That let us play Jamal Williams last week, so it was pretty good. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm. I still play. I am definitely not in the Fanduel streets at all. So yeah, uh, just remember the old school. You know, Sunday nights, and we even before that we had the Monday night hammers, which were you know real, real old school. So, all right, gentlemen, good stuff as always. Appreciate it. Uh, again, nineteen dollars for a betting sub takes you through the end of February. It's going to get all of our bets through the playoffs. We'll get all access to all the JDs. Uh, you know, DFS stuff that's still going on. Again, we're firing at other sports as well. The Discord is really where you want to be. I uh, love that community. What you got? Special shows as well on Thursday. We will have, the, of course, the last best ball happy hour for the Underdog Gauntlet Tournament with Two Million Man himself. Still can't believe I can say that. Pat Corain. And then uh, Friday morning on the YouTube channel, we will release a FFPC only playoff show challenge we had to work really hard to book him, but Connor Allen will be on there along with a good friend, Joe Pano. Love it. Oh, he dusted Pano off for a show, huh? One show. I texted him. I said, one show per year. This is the time. Are you in? He oh. said, name the time. So, yes. I'm making an NFT. Yep. This is the one of one Joe Pano 2023 edition. I I'm so excited. Love it. He's put down the uh, soccer whistle for uh, I minutes and, uh, you know. I have the I have the playoff only rankings for that FFPC chat for everything honestly I, I just I just like bombarded my journal of note player notes onto the bottom column so like even if you're betting player props I have notes there for you but the rankings are for the FFPC challenge and so like I have a lot of thoughts on that not only from the article but like on different pivots and leverage spots so we'll talk about it all on Friday morning on the YouTube channel love that subscribe rate review on the audio podcast if you haven't that goes a long way in helping us out as well we appreciate all those things so again betting stuff 19 bucks guys check it out for daigle and car i'm ryan we'll see you all on friday thanks yeah. <laughs>